As you can tell, I've got some stuff in my heart today. Isn't it wonderful to be forgiven? As we were taking communion, I just saw, sat there, I just thought, oh my goodness. To have your sins forgiven and to have your conscience cleaned, washed. What an amazing, amazing freedom. And we all need that, don't we? And I just want to encourage you, if you are here today and your conscience is dirty and guilty and condemning you, the only answer is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is the ultimate and final answer, which is wonderful. Open your Bibles with me, please, this morning to Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing through the book of Matthew. The overall theme is called, Not of This World. And as I was thinking about it, as I was worshiping, I kind of felt the Lord just say to me that it's not just the way we usually think of that theme, uh, that term, and I think John is the one who spoke of not being of this world, but it also has a connotation which maybe this morning is even more important, is that it's not just that we are not of this world, but it's that we're from another world. It's that we are otherly, we are otherworldly as followers of Christ. And so we have to be careful. We've been saying this as we go through the Gospel of Matthew and especially the Sermon on the Mount, not to fall into the trap of feeling like Jesus is just giving us more things that we need to do. And then we need to act now and again and in another way, just as we always feel religion is doing, you know, shape up and get it together and so on and so forth. But Jesus, the Lord Jesus is giving us rather a picture of what it means to be otherworldly and how to live our lives. We're not, he's not calling us to exert effort to do something, which just leads to more frustration so often, but instead he's giving us an understanding and describing the life of new creation in the midst of a fallen and darkened world that is trapped in sin. In other words, the Lord is not saying, begin to live this way, begin to live this way in order to become a good Christian, but rather what he is saying because of who you are, this is now how you live. Last week, Matthew did an excellent job beginning in chapter 7, talking through the text, a very difficult text about judging, uh, a misunderstood text in our culture today, as we know, as we talked about in last Sunday, Matt's teaching, and then in this week, during the week, in our own small group, in our communitas, we talked about judging and how that's so misunderstood and so needs to be rightly understood uh, because we as Christians are continually being accused of being judgmental. And the reality is we decided because we usually are. And so it's wrong for us to judge those outside the faith. Only God can do that. Amen. But we judge within the faith. And that's a very difficult thing, and I'm not going to talk about that because Matt did an excellent job, and you can listen to it online if you want to hear what he said. But I want to remind us that chapter 7 is one complete thought and theme. And if I could characterize the whole of chapter 7, it is this, is that it's a reminder that we are uniquely set apart for God and for his kingdom. And also that we cannot read the Bible without coming to the conclusion that the thing that really differentiates God's people, and this is important from every other person out there, is that God's people have always been a people who walk 
in the consciousness of their eternal destiny. That we don't live life simply for the moment. We don't live life simply to experience the good life in this life. But we live our lives with a consciousness of our eternity, of our eternal destiny. And so because of that, and this is what chapter 7 zeroes in on, we have to exercise wise, critical discernment. Not criticism, but critical discernment. We have to be able to assess and discriminate between circumstances, truth and the lie, goodness and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, what is truly holy and what is unholy. And it's becoming more and more difficult to discriminate, not because it's hard for us to see it, but because it's hard for us to vocalize it, to admit it, and and then to begin to live it out, because it's not acceptable to be discriminate now. Because everything has been mixed into a big pot of gray. And the gray is what is acceptable. And anything other than that is not loving, right? It's judgmental. It's unkindness. And yet this whole chapter is a chapter where the Lord Jesus is teaching those people who are otherworldly, who are living their lives with a consciousness of eternity, to be discriminant, to be discerning, to be wise, to be able to differentiate in their lives. And so he uses this really difficult example in chapter 7, verse 6 that Matt taught on last week about dogs and pigs, of not giving what is holy to dogs and not giving your, your pearls and throwing them before pigs. Uh, it's like such a, such a rude statement, it seems. But he's using terms that were familiar to them to speak of those that were not God-fearing, those that were uh, not of God in their, in their own culture who were outside of the covenant And he's saying, listen, there's a time to speak truth and there's a time to be silent. There are those whom the Lord is drawing and there are those whose hearts are hardened. And you have to be able to know when to speak and know when to be quiet. Because to speak to those whose hearts are hard robs the value of what is spoken. And it robs it of its power. And when it is robbed of its power, it's despised and it's ridiculed. And so we as believers must be wanting and always looking to speak the truth and wanting to speak the gospel. But we have to know when to speak and when to be quiet. And so Jesus begins by teaching about being discriminant in our speech. And now he's going to talk about prayer. And if you would read with me as I look at verses 7 through 11 this morning of chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. He repeats himself, doesn't he? Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We come as children in one sense, but we also come, Lord, with a maturity that you've put within us, a wisdom that you've already put within us that desires more, wants to understand even deeper the truth of what it means to be a child of God. We come to, be, to learn of you today. Spirit of God, we come and ask that you would teach us today what we need to understand in the day in which we are living. We are living, Lord, in difficult times. And we have an important part to play in the history of the world. And so we ask today, Father, that you would equip us by your Spirit because of the grace of God that is at work within us. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in his name we ask it. Amen. So two more mass murders yesterday. Twenty killed in El Paso. Wake up this morning and find out nine more killed overnight, late at night in Dayton, Ohio. Two young white men. Why? What's going on? What's going on in the world? What's happening? As I was praying this morning, I just was thinking, as, and thinking about what I was going to be teaching and thinking about what's going on in the world and asking God, and you know, the question I've always taught, don't ask why, because you're never going to get the answer to why on the one hand, in, the, in very specific reasons. You'll get, we know the why generally already. It's because of sin, it's because of the fall of man, it's because of man's rebellion, it's because of the residue of the result of sin in the hearts of men, of the evil in the hearts of men. But the specifics as to why we may not ever know until eternity, and then we won't care. But as I was praying this morning, I just felt like, Lord God, what's it going to take for the church in America to, to, to begin to pray? And that's obviously what I'm teaching on this morning is prayer. And I, I had this picture of an army in the middle of a battlefield with this incredible war waging around them, putting suntan lotion on. Running around with their tennis shoes on and their designer outfits looking for the suntan lotion in the middle of a war. That's what the church in America is like. I mean, it's, it, we've used this metaphor, I mean, because Keith Green wrote it 40 years ago, we're asleep in the light. It's what's going on. What will it take for the church to wake up? And I believe that Jesus is, is, is speaking to the disciples in this text about the importance of prayer, about the need for wisdom to live discriminately and purposefully in a fallen world. We don't need to see the statistics. I could show them to you on the screen of what we're facing today. You guys probably are tired of hearing them. The abortion rate, the murder rate, the young people dying of drug addiction, the, the racism and the, the poverty in the inner cities and the, and, the, and the anger that's in the hearts of men. 
the divorce rate, the destabilization of the family. All of those statistics, we could quote them, we know them. They're, they're, on the one hand, we, we're, we, we, I, I feel like we have crisis fatigue. Where we're so weary because, and now it's almost like, oh, another shooting. But on the one hand, we, we always think, oh, it would never happen to me. God forbid, yes, that it ever would. Deliver us from evil, Father. Deliver us from evil, Jesus said, to pray. But we have crisis fatigue because we become so accustomed to all of these things around us. But as believers, we can never become too accustomed to them. We can't afford, I was a fireman in my very first Shift as a fireman, I think I, was, I went out to a horrible car accident and someone was killed and I came home that night and I got back in the bed and I'm laying in this bed next to a captain in his bunk next to me and I'm laying there and, and I turned to him and I said to him, I said, what do you do with this? And he said to me, you'll get used to it. And I was a believer in Jesus Christ and I thought in my mind, I hope I never get used to this. I hope I never get used to seeing people die and not having it affect me. And that's what's happening to us as believers. We, become, we have crisis fatigue. We have, we have fatigue due to the, res, the, the work of sin, the results of sin in our world. But there are two things that Jesus emphasizes in this text really quickly before I look at the more specifics of asking, seeking, and knocking. First thing is he says to us, we need perseverance. Man, if there was a message that I would preach again and again and again and again and again to the church anywhere in the world, especially in America, I would preach, you need to persevere. Kath read me, reminded me this week of a quote, that Christian faith is a long obedience. That's what it is. The Christian walk is a long obedience. It's one day after another, after another, after another of living obediently. And some days are harder than others. And some seasons are more blessed and fun than others. And some are just hard. And some are painful. And some are even tragic. But it is just a long obedience. And Jesus reminds us in these verses, we'll see, of the need for perseverance. But he also also reminds us that God is our Father. And that he is a loving father and a good father and a kind father. And so that is the overarching reality of our prayer life and of our prayer motivation is that God is good and God is loving and God is a father who loves. And even as, a, as, even as Matt stands up here today with his four sons and he, he loves his four sons, the, the word of God, Jesus reminds us, Matt is limited as a father How much more will your heavenly Father not give you what you ask? He delights in giving us what we need and what we ask for. But the Lord now uses three words to describe prayer. And as I was praying this week and thinking about it, I, I realized that he's using the words asking, seeking, and knocking. And I thought, well... Is he just using synonyms for the same thing? Is he just using three, is he saying the same thing in three different ways? And I concluded, no. 
He's talking about three different ways of praying, and they're very important. And the first was this. He says, ask. Ask, it will be given to you. And then he says, the next verse, for everyone who asks, receives. Ask. So I thought, what does it mean to ask in prayer? And I realized this, is that what we do when we ask God is we are asking for those things that we already have understanding and insight into. We already understand certain things in this world. We already know certain truths. We, all, we know much of the will of God already because of the word of God. And so when we ask, we're asking in accordance to what we already know. Write that down. When you ask, you're asking according to what you already know. The word ask means to beg, to call for, to desire. So it's not just a a simple asking. It's a strong asking of God. But we're asking for what we already know. For what we already know is promised. For what we already know is provided in his word regarding this life and the world in which we live. We ask for the souls of men. We ask for grace to persevere. We ask for courage, for boldness. We ask for strength to live boldly. We ask for protection from the enemy. We ask for provision from God. We ask God for things. Now, if I could say this kindly... Most of our prayer lives in there. When we think of prayer, that's what most of us think. We just go to God and we ask God for things. Now, on the one hand, I want to say to you, that's a good thing because he tells us to do that. But I want to also say to you, if that's the extent of our prayer life, we're living in a very immature way as a believer. Because he's going to talk about two more ways to pray here in a moment that are much different than asking. It's children who ask in prayer. Pray with your kids at night. That's what they do. That's how a child prays. And we are, on the one hand, children of God. But on the other hand, listen, we're warriors. We should be warriors. We are mature. Even if you are 14 or 15 years old in here and you've been raised in Christ, in a home, in Christ, you by now should be a warrior. You you by now should be engaged at a deeper level than just asking God for your life. For a spouse, for a job, or for a car. You should be now at a deeper level in your faith and in your walk than simply just asking God. Now you should begin to seek God. And that was the next thing that the Lord said. He said, seek and what you will find. And the one who seeks finds. That was interesting as I began to think about seeking What does he mean by that? And I think in the prayer room this morning, Kevin alluded to it. Tuesday night when we began to pray, we came in here and we had fasted. We came in here on Tuesday night and we prayed. And before we began to pray, Mario stood up. And Mario said something that was so profound that night. 
he shared very simply, he said, I believe God has shown me that we need to pray for what is unknown. And I was sitting there, and it went, bam! It was like the Spirit of God just spoke to me. We need to pray for what is unknown. And I thought, that's amazing. And it just began to open up. And we had a really very powerful evening of prayer with this sense of praying for the unknown. And when we finished, I felt like the Lord said this to me. And I actually said this to the group. I said, and it sounds elitist, and I want to be careful because I don't have that in my heart. But I felt like the Lord said to me, I've been waiting for someone to pray like this. I've been waiting for someone to to do this. I am pleased that you've prayed this way. That is so uncommon for a people to pray for what is unknown. What does Jesus mean when he says seek? The word Greek word means to reason and to inquire by thinking and by meditating. It's what Daniel did in Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And he was threatening to kill all the wise men because they not only could not interpret the dream, but he was demanding that they tell him the dream before they interpret it. And the wise men of the day in Babylon are going, that's impossible. How can we know the dream? You tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. No, you tell me the dream and then you interpret it. Well, we can't do it. Okay, then I'm going to kill all of you. Send his captain to gather all the wise men, to kill all the wise men, including Daniel and his three buddies. Daniel hears about it. Daniel goes, would you please give us a minute? He goes back to his three friends and he says, we need to inquire of the Lord. We need to seek God for the unknown. See, it was something, listen, something only God could know and therefore only God could reveal. And brothers and sisters, we are living right now in a time when we must seek God for what only He knows and what he alone can reveal. And listen, what he desires to reveal to a people who will seek him. When we seek God for what is unknown, it's pleasing to God. We seek to know what God is doing on the earth, specifically, not generally, But specifically, what are you doing, Father, right now in America? What are you doing right now through the church? What do you want to do through the church? And listen, what is the enemy doing? What is Satan up to? So that we can pray. So that we can act. See, men of old understood this great need to seek God for wisdom and strength. David said this repeatedly. He said, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 27, 8, he said, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. King Asa was a God seeker. And under his leadership, it was said, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. Turn with me to Second Chronicles 34, if you can find it. Oh, I know you can find it. I'm just being facetious here. 
Second Chronicles 34. Samuel King's Chronicles. I wish they'd do away with Bible apps on phones. I really do. I'd love for you to bring your Bibles rather than look at your phones. Because I'm going to guess that if all you do is use your phone at home, you don't read your phone to read your Bible very often. Second Chronicles 34. Listen to what is said here. Verses 1 through 7. Josiah, when he was eight years old, here we go, eight years old, when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, 16 years old, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. Listen. Young teenagers in this room, seek the face of God. You're running around in a, on a battlefield looking for suntan lotion with your designer outfit on and your cool Nikes. Come on. It is time. There's a room full of kids in there who God wants to be raised up. Not to be church people, church attenders, but to become young men and women that he can use in these days. That have something more in their heart. He began to seek the God of David, his father, and in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah. In the 12th year, so that means he is now 20 He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the demonic worship of the ashram and the carved and the metal images where they would actually, they would would bring their babies and put them in in the hands of molten heated metal and sacrifice them. The Canaanites would do this. Sound familiar? And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence and he cut down the incense altars altars that stood above him, and he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images, and he made dust of them, and he scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them, and he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He began to seek the face of God, and the Lord began to speak to him, tear these things down, tear them down, Tear them down, and not only tear them down, but crush them into dust. And then burn the bones of these evil men who have led my people astray. We're talking radical stuff here. But it's not unlike Daniel. I'm teaching this afternoon to the women at Folsom Prison. I'm going through the book of Daniel because they've asked me to do that. I'm in chapter 3, and we are in the chapter of the 90-foot statue that is built by Nebuchadnezzar out in the plains. And everyone was to come and bow down. And only three were out there who would not bow down. Let me ask you this morning, will you not bow down? Or will you bow down to the demonic idolatry that is being pushed upon us 
through the spirit of the age, through government, through media, through entertainment. And I will say to us that if we are not discriminate and not wise and not discerning, we will ultimately bend a knee. And maybe we already have. The men and women who seek God are the men and women who know the times in which they live and then they know what to do. They understand the times in which they live and then they know what to do. And I don't have time to get into it this morning. I was going to, but I, I don't want to spend the time on it. But can you discern the two beasts of Revelation? We're going to be getting to chapter 13 in the next six months or so. <laughs> Maybe. But when we get to chapter 13, and these two beasts, one coming from the sea and one coming from the land, and we know that on the one hand they represent what John knew to be in his day, but it also represents what is common to all of church history. Do you even understand these beasts? Do we know the power of these beasts? Of an oppressive demonic authority on the one hand, a governing authority, and then a religious apostate demonic expression of some kind that persecutes and hates the true church of God. We need to have an understanding of the times. And I'll say to us today, you will not, we will not gain this unless we seek. We seek God. We seek. And that's what Jesus, I believe, is speaking of. He's not just talking about the casual prayer of a little girl or a little boy at night that's asking God for something very simply, which is what most of our prayers are like. He is saying, take the time Hide yourself away and seek the face of God to gain wisdom for the day in which you're living. Because you will find. God will speak to you. We are to ask, we are to seek, and he said, and we are to knock. He says, if and when you knock, it will be opened up to you. And the Greek there implies to knock with a heavy blow. It's not just a tap. It's a heavy blow of knocking. What will be opened? What is it that God wants to open us to, up to us? See, this is the, the prayer that has action associated with it at some point. And I really believe that as I was thinking about this, this is what we've called in the past taking ground. Taking ground. It's, it's what, what we've commonly called intercession. It's agreeing with God. It's agreeing with the purposes of God. It's, it's, it's understanding and discerning. You know, in the Old Testament, they would have a, a watchman on a wall, and the watchman would look, 
He would look out to see what was happening in the distance. If the enemy was about something, if the enemy was gathering, if there was a scout maybe out there that couldn't be seen easily, and the watchman would be looking to see what the enemy was doing, but they would also turn around and look back within the city behind them. Had the enemy already come in, unknowns to them? Was there something going on behind them that no one else could see, but only they would be able to see from their vantage point? You see, that's what we do as well when we pray. We're watchmen, we're looking, we're praying. And we're, we're pursuing the heart of God and we're knocking. We're knocking, we're seeking God, but then we're engaging. Listen, not only do we seek God, but then we engage in prayer the purposes of God and the will of God. We agree with God. And doors we are opened through prayer that must be opened, but they can only be opened by God. You see, there are things in this city that God wants to do. Do you believe that? See, we just have this general, we live with this general malaise of, oh, Jesus, you know, Lord Jesus, bless us, and just do something in the city. You know, I don't know how it'll ever happen, but, you know, maybe it will someday. But in the meantime, you know, just bless me and, it's like God wants to do something in this city. He wants to shake it. He wants people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He wants the church to be revived. He wants the church to be equipped. He wants the church to, to be prophetic. He wants young men and women to rise up in faith and be aggressive in their faith. Humble, kind, gentle, loving, but aggressive. Bold. He wants old men to dream in the spirit. And he wants young men to see visions and women to prophesy. Speak with wisdom and discernment what God is doing. Do you hear me? And then he wants to open doors. And so what if a church prayed? What if a church learned how to pray, to seek the face of God, where the church as a whole was seeking God individually, and then they would come together corporately, and they would come with the express purpose of seeking God so that then they could knock on those doors which God reveals to them need to be opened through prayer and to see these doors begin to be opened. In other words, say, God, give us divine strategy. Show us what you want to do and how you want to do it. In Matthew 16, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord says to him, upon your confession, Peter, I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand what I will do through my church. The gates of hell will not be able to handle what I'm going to do on the earth through my church. And this statement was followed by the Lord telling Peter just before that, that he had given him the keys to the kingdom. Keys speak of authority and keys open doors. I've given you authority. 
I've given you the ability to open the doors that need to be opened because of the authority I've given you. But how do you know what door to open? And how do you know how to open it unless I tell you? And we talk about this praying for the unknown. We have to be careful. We're not talking about the dark secrets of the occult that they talk about. And we're not talking about the the secrets that the Gnostics believe, the hidden secrets that only they can know. No, we're talking about the, the unknown that God, only God knows, but God wants to reveal. God wants to reveal it to all who will hear. And this knocking is a picture of perseverance and the story in Luke 11. Let's look at it quickly in Luke 11. It's the the same time when Jesus teaches on prayer and the same text we're reading in Matthew 7, but Luke contains something that Matthew doesn't. Luke 11, verses 5 through 10 And he said, the Lord said, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. This guy's just bugging him. He will not quit knocking on the door. He won't stop. God loves that. See, there's something about that pressing in to God and continuing. Sometimes you ever feel, I have the feeling sometimes, Lord, you must get tired of hearing this prayer from me. And And the Holy Spirit will say to us, no, it's faith. For you to keep praying it is an expression of your faith because you're looking to me because you know that I delight in answering and because you see and you understand. We're living in a time, brothers and sisters, more than ever, more than ever, I don't really think we know, I don't think we really know how tenuous the days are that we're living in how vulnerable they are. I don't think we really know how creaky the foundation is of the society that we're living in. And I was talking to some folks this morning before the service. On the one hand, because we live in the 21st century with technology and social media and all the media, we hear everything, things that probably have always been going on throughout history on the one hand. So there's, there's not like that's new. But on the other hand, we have to go, there's more now, though, than there was 20 years ago. A cliff fell on four people in Southern California yesterday, sitting on the beach, fell on top of them, just f- broke off and fell on them. I mean, okay, tragedies happen all the time. Earthquakes, volcanoes, shaking. Iran and the Middle East. 
the uncertainty of what's happening all around the world, our own society, our own United States, trillions and trillions of dollars in debt, the economy being held up by who knows what. I mean, we are living in very tenuous times, and we're running around on a battlefield in tennis shoes looking for suntan lotion instead of engaging God. And again, I've said this before, and I'm not saying this to put anything on us or to manipulate you through guilt, but this room should be filled when we pray. It should be. If we had any semblance of the reality of the times in which we live. Now, and I know it's hard. I understand that. We know that. We should be, some of you should be emailing us as elders and saying, can we pray more often? Hey, we need to have another prayer meeting. When are we going to pray again? Hey, I'm feeling like we need to fast. We need to seek God. We need to gain. We, we should, that should be coming to us. Or from those of you who are doing that, and I know many of you do, coming to us and saying, as I was seeking the face of God, the Lord spoke to me. Would you please weigh this and see if, in fact, it is not of God for us? We will receive divine strategy. You see, we want to move out of this building. We want to literally move out of this building next year. Where are we going to go? We're not going to just go somewhere where we get a better deal. We're going to go where God wants us. Amen? We're going to go to wherever it is that we need to be at this time in our life as a church for the sake of the city. And then we're going to say to you, this is what we feel God is saying. Please tell us what you feel, what you hear. We need divine strategy from God. We need to know what God is saying to us in this season. And I just, I, I know that night, that night when we prayed, when Mario said that, I, I don't know that Mario knew fully what he was saying. I'm glad that he was obedient. But I just believe the Spirit of God just put a powerful oomph in it for me and said, yes, you need to pray for what is unknown, and I am pleased that you will do that. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for someone to pray this way. Lord, teach, speak to us what only you know. Speak to us, Father, in this day what, what only you know and what we need to know and what this city needs and what this nation needs so that we might act. And Lord, when you speak to us, when you speak to us, Lord, we will knock through prayer, then we will press in through prayer. We will press in, O oh God, through prayer to take hold of those things, to undermine the, the, the power of the enemy in this city and in this nation, in this state. We will press in, O oh God, with you and agree with you, Lord, that you would release angels in the spiritual realm to wage war over this city for the souls of men. We believe, Lord God, that, that this is what the Christian life is. That, Lord, it, it is blessing and it is reaping the, the, the benefit of this wonderful covenant. But it's for the purpose, O oh God, of continuing the work of the kingdom on the earth until you return. 
Paul said as I close in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel. Taking up in all circumstances the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And putting on the helmet of salvation and having the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication. In other words, asking and seeking and knocking prayers for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Stand with me, please. Brothers and sisters, your prayers are not wishful thinking. They are not wishful thinking, and they, this is the good news. They are not dependent on your performance and on your behavior. Thank goodness. They are only dependent on God's character and on God's faithfulness and on God's purposes. Our part is to ask, our part is to seek, and our part is to knock. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning again. And where we are right now in this time in our lives as a church, as a, as a faith community, and where we are in our lives right now as an individual person before you or as a family before you, we ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to teach us how to pray. Lord, we, we confess that we have been like children only asking you for very basic things that usually are just for our well-being. They're not evil. They're not bad. They're necessary. But Lord, we now understand that our prayer life has to go much further than that because of the times in which we live. Teach us to seek your face, Father. Give us the discipline to set time aside to seek your face, whether it is early, early in the morning or late, late at night, to where we would spend the time to seek to hear your voice, to know what it is you're saying in this day. And then teach us, Father, how to knock in prayer, to knock down the walls the enemy has built, to knock and break through in heavenly areas, Father, where you want us to break through through prayer, to break in, Lord, in, into the dark recesses of hearts and, and places in this city where the the enemy has people captive to break in that they might be released. Teach us, Lord, how to engage in prayer in ways that are beyond what we have understood and known for the sake of the kingdom because we are not of this world. Lord, we, we have been left here as ambassadors and, Lord, as pilgrims and as warriors living our lives for you. We pray you would be honored and glorified 
Cause this church to be used of you, Lord. Use us, O God, for your sake we pray. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.